Well, hey, good morning, Story. How are we doing? Good, ready to rock? Awesome, good. Well, it's always a joy to be here. Just like Kyle said, I love Kyle. Uh, it's awesome to just think that it was four years ago already that we met. And I still remember when he jumped in the van and we started talking, we had a couple different things in common. And it was kind of like, did we just become best friends? And it was like, yep. And then it was an awesome three hours after that. So it was great. It's good to be here. I love working with him. I love coming to visit you. I mean, God's doing some pretty special things here within you, within what's going on here at Story Church, what's going on in your community. I mean, you know how much fun it is to come to a church where it's like, hey, our outreach ministry has doubled. I mean, that's just powerful. That's awesome. This is what we're called to do. So right now, we're in a series right now. It's a longer series that we just started at the beginning of the year. This is week three. It's called Pursued. It's all about how God, uh, one of the characteristics of God is he's a pursuing God. He doesn't just wait for everybody to come to him. He pursues our world like crazy. So this first chunk that we're in is all about creation. What did he create? Why did he create it? And today we're talking about the temple. Why, why was the temple created or the church? Why do we do this? Like when we come and gather together, has anybody that's like not a follower of Jesus or not a Christian, or maybe you like go back to a different season, have you ever asked yourself or somebody asked you, why do you do church? Why do you go? Why do you attend? Why are you a part of a community? Why do you do religion? Usually that's kind of the bend that it takes. Why, why do you do this? Today we're actually going to unpack and I'm, I'm going to show you what God's intent was and maybe some different pieces of God's creation when it comes to his temple and his church that maybe you haven't seen before. But I wanted to show you some pictures. So I got this cool opportunity when I was in seminary, uh, which is basically just pastor school. It's a master's degree. I got to travel over to the Middle East. So I went over to a country I'd never heard of, didn't know it existed. It's called Oman. And Oman is right next to Saudi Arabia. It's next to the United Arab Emirates. It's across the, uh, whatever it is, the Gulf of something from like Afghanistan and Iraq. But I wasn't a geography major, so whatever. So let me show you. The, the most beautiful building I've ever been in in my entire life is a mosque. It was unbelievable. This mosque, there's actually two of them in Oman. It's a tiny little country, tiny, tiny in the Middle East. Uh, it's kind of like Switzerland, like it's very neutral. It's run by a monarch. So a sultan is in charge. So the sultan decided he was going to build this mosque, but there's two of them in the country of this stature, of this magnitude. They are $1 billion each. A billion, do you know what you can do with a billion dollars? A lot. I mean, it's unbelievable. So this mosque, it took six years to complete, has a capacity of 20,000 people that visit it five times a day. So they just come in and out, in and out, kind of uh, for Muslim uh, religion or whatever. Uh, basically, as you're driving or walking about or working or whatever, um, when the sound sounds, you're supposed to go just to the nearest mosque. So even though this one's great and beautiful and ornate, uh, they're not told to prioritize it. You're just supposed to go into a mosque. So when it's not during that prayer time, they actually open it up for the public to visit. So as we walk through, I mean, you'll see a couple pictures that cycle through here. Uh, it cost a billion dollars. Uh, they imported 600 million pounds of sandstone from India. I mean, think about it. They start choosing and getting the choicest of materials all over the world. Uh, they actually have the largest chandelier. We'll get to this one in just a second. The, it was at one point the largest chandelier in the world. And it was in this room. Also one of the largest carpets. So this, there's a carpet. There's a carpet on top of a carpet. It's 
It's like Inception. It's crazy. So there's a carpet, and it's also like the largest carpet in the world. So, so the sultan, the king, the ruler went all out and created the most ornate building ever. And here's why. Because when you're in it and when you sense like the expansiveness of it, when you, when you sense the luxury, when you sense all of the choicest and prime materials, that tells you something about the people that worship there and the God per se that they worship. The, the temple makes a statement. God makes a statement with his temple in scripture. And the first temple ever created was not maybe the temple that you thought, but we'll get to there in a second. The first temple ever created uh, might surprise you. Let me tell you about when Jesus entered into the temple, the Israelite temple that they had built. Uh, They were selling uh, sacrifices. They were doing money changers uh, or changing money, like currency swaps, whatever. So they had turned the temple, right? We just talked about the the temple says a lot about the people and about the God that's worshiped. When Jesus walked into the Jewish temple, it was a marketplace. It, It wasn't like this holy, sacred you know, like, oh man, it's just in reverence and it's perfect. We keep it clean and maintain it's pre- it. They had sacrificed. They'd actually become consumers inside of the temple. So Jesus walks in and when he walks in, this is like the, the signature, you know, Jesus rage, right? It's like he starts flipping tables. It says he actually created a whip and he drove them out of the temple. So here's what it says. John chapter two, verse nine, Jesus said to them, talking to the religious leaders, talking to the Jews that are there, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So the, the temple that Jesus is inside right now is similar to that of like the mosque that I just depicted. I mean, this temple, this was Solomon's temple that Solomon built. It was amazing. It was incredible. Imported cedar, imported stone. That temple took 46 years to produce. It took 46 years to create. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Like, think about how preposterous that statement came across to all of the Jewish people, all of those who were leading or worshiping in that space. They're like, you can't do that. It would take us longer than three days to destroy it let alone you to build it back up. But he was speaking, talking about Jesus, about the temple of his body. So there's multiple temples at play here. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. People had taken the temple which was sacred and had a very specific purpose, and they had used it, they had turned into consumers within the temple. That is a very dangerous, uh, what would you say? That's very dangerous territory. When you take something that God has created as sacred and holy and special and set apart and they turned it into commonplace. They turned it into a market. This is the first temple that God ever created. It's not found later in the Old Testament. It's not found in the New Testament. It's actually found in Genesis chapter 1 was the first creation of the temple. Um, Genesis 2, here's what it says. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The, The first temple that God ever created was the garden of Eden. 
So I'd never caught this before. As I studied, as I looked, as I really dug deep here, the Garden of Eden in all of creation, God created the world, right? Seven days. He created different things at different times. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But now the Garden of Eden was actually a distinct location. It was a distinct place. It was something very distinct outside of the rest of creation. As in, if you're standing on a space shuttle in outer space and you're looking down, you can see the perimeter of the Garden of Eden compared to the rest of the world around it. The first temple that God created was the Garden of Eden. And here's how we know it. Because in the middle of it, right, food and trees, everything's pleasing to the eye and it's good, it's healthy, it's, it's producing. But right in the middle is the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And a water, like a river of water is flowing out of it. God placed Adam inside the Garden of Eden to cultivate it. God placed Adam, God placed humanity, us, his creation. He put us inside his temple, the place where life flowed out of, the place that had not been desecrated, the place that had not been desolate. He took the Garden of Eden, which was exploding and teeming with life and fruit and abundance, and he put us right in the middle of it, and he tells Adam, cultivate it, take care of it. What scholars have said, and it, just as I've read, is this. If, as Adam cultivated it, what he would have seen is the garden would have continued to expand over and over and over, over all of the world. The, the first meeting place of God and man occurred in the temple. That's what a temple is. It, it's the meeting place between, between God and humanity. This is This is amazing. I'll get to why this is so important for us, but do you see the parallel here between the temple and the garden? It, we're going to look at a little bit like the, the evolution of the temple, like how that took place over the years and how, you know, it started with the Garden of Eden, but then later turned into like the Ark of the Covenant. That was where God's presence actually resided among his people, which God was then housed in a tent, which then he built the, the temple that Solomon built. God's presence tracked, but like the presence of God made the temple the temple. Does that make sense? The presence of God, when he was there among his people, that was the meeting place. God always meets with his people in the temple. So this is significant because as we track through the New Testament, even when Jesus comes, Jesus is speaking to the people in this temple right now, and he's saying, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Is he talking about the physical temple at this point? He's talking about his body. He's talking about himself. The whole purpose of the temple of God since the very beginning, since creation, was pointing to the person of Jesus. The whole thing. That's why Jesus says, hey, you want, let's talk about the temple. You want to talk about the temple, the meeting place between God and humanity, you're looking at him. And you're going to destroy me. And in three days, I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to change everything. The temple was created as the meeting place between God and humanity. It's where we have fellowship with him. So check this out. This is 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going a couple different books of the Bible here so you can see the parallels, how they're all moving in the exact same direction. And then we'll talk about what does that mean here for Story Church. So 1 Kings 6, verse 11, it says this, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. So Solomon now is about to build the temple. 
So God's presence went from the Garden of Eden, then it went to the Ark of the Covenant, which was carried around with God's people as they were in the wilderness. It was carried around during wars. God's presence resided among the people, but now there was a, a firm foundational establishment of God in the community. Just like Eden was created at the beginning to be the center of life in the community, the same was true of the temple that Solomon was gonna build. As for this temple that you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all of my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father. Most important verse right here, 13. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. God is again talking and describing the temple as the meeting place between him and his people. It's so significant. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you've had a hard time connecting with God in the local church? Have you ever felt like you had a hard time connecting with God among other people? What about this? Have you ever had a hard time connecting with God outside of the church or outside of a group of people? The last two years have been fascinating from a ministry perspective because the whole world that was used to seeing churches gather on a Sunday or in different parts of the world on a different day or at a specific time when that was eliminated for some, the question, what do they do? Where do they go? What, what just happened? The, the center of life of the Christian community is the church, but it's not just the building. It was never created to just be a building. For this reason, buildings can't move. Buildings can be torn down. Buildings can decay. Buildings can be disrupted by natural elements. The trajectory of the temple, this is what's so significant. When Jesus entered the scene, the Holy Spirit came and said, I, I take up residence within you. The temple of the Holy Spirit, we talked about this now last week. The temple of the Holy Spirit is what? us. So this is, talk about a download, right? It's like, holy smokes, we just downloaded the entire thing. It's going to take a while for this to actually set in. The entire purpose of God's temple is the meeting place between God and humanity. What God said to us as his people is, I want to reside and I want to meet with you right here, which means you don't, you don't need a physical location. We don't necessarily need the Ark of the Covenant. We don't need the Garden of Eden. But you track and follow all of those. They were all pointing to the exact same thing, Jesus. The meeting place, the meeting person, the intersection between God and humanity. God has called us as a church. God has called us as the church capital C church, those who say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, I follow him. God has called us to be both a part of the temple and a cultivator of it. We are at risk every single day, especially in our world, in our society, in our economy, of turning this into a marketplace. We are at risk of turning this into a place of consumerism. We're at risk of turning this into a place where we come and we receive and we get fed and we trade and then we walk out the door and nothing changes. What's so amazing about the temple, and you study it, read it if you're interested. I know some of you eat this up and others are like, I don't get it. 
What's the point? If you look at the temple and the creation of the temple, God gave such specific requirements for all of these temples and the Ark of the Covenant. They all have pictures and imagery of Eden from the very beginning. This has been God's storyline. This is why we're doing this series called Pursued. There is a very distinct storyline all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And what God has called the church to be is a garden among desolation a place of abundance, a place of growth, a place of life, a place of cultivation among God's people who work and till spiritual ground and they watch it expand in the community and context to which they've been called. This has been God's purpose since the very beginning. Revelation, we'll talk about this later in the series on the restoration piece those last four weeks. What God says is, I will restore Eden back to the way that it was. I will wipe away every tear. I'll get rid of every disease, every form of cancer, every form of pain. I will eliminate death itself and we will go back to the river of life, the garden of Eden, teeming with life, teeming with the presence of God where God walks among humanity. What God says is I am going to restore that. We're in the middle. So we've already seen what God has done. We saw what he's created. That's what we're talking about today. But, but we're not in yet what God will restore. But he's called us to something specific. Every person in this room, whether you're a Jesus follower yet or not, God has called you to something specific, and it's to be a cultivator. Just like Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, a cultivator of the garden of this church for the community of Comstock Park. Let that sit for a second. This isn't a place that you can just be a consumer. This isn't a place that you can just come and be fed and walk out. This needs to be a place where you come in and cultivate using the tools, using the resources, using the gifts, using your time, using everything that God has given you to cultivate what's happening in this space for the sake of your community. Part of getting ready uh, for today... I really wanted to know about Comstock Park. I really wanted to understand this community. Do you know, I looked up, I think it was 13 churches, this one including, uh, or this one included in this area, all of them with a Comstock Park address. I looked up all of them. I looked up their websites. I watched, I watched live streams. I watched sermons from them. I looked all of it. Do you know this church is different than all of them? This isn't an indictment towards any of the other ones, not one bit. They're all called to a very specific purpose in their community with a distinct style, with a distinct leader, with a distinct location, but that is the same here. You have some marked differences of every other church in this area. And here's my question, why? For what purpose? For this purpose. God has a section of the kingdom that he is developing and cultivating right in here for the purposes of Comstock Park to expand and reach people that none of the other churches can reach. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. Whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever your gifts, whatever your talents, whatever your skill set, whatever you have, whatever you bring, so often this is what the enemy does is he discourages us. Or he he sows fear. 
or, or he says, you don't really contribute that much, or you're not in a place to do that right now, or you're not able to, or you, you've screwed up in the past, you've had a bad experience, someone took advantage. What the enemy does is he twists and he distorts and he contorts so that we will turn the temple, the place of God meeting with humanity, into a marketplace where we come, we consume, and we leave. What God is doing, I think what God is asking of you in this place, where can you cultivate the garden of his kingdom in this church, in this community, for people that have not yet heard the news of Jesus, who have not heard that there's a God sitting in heaven right now overseeing everything that loves them to pieces, so much so that he gave and he sacrificed everything for them. There are people in your context, a stone's throw from this parking lot that don't know him, but you do. You know him and you know them. God is inviting you to be the temple, to be a cultivator of his temple, of his church, to reach people who don't have a relationship with him. So watch this. This is really cool. Here's the evolution of the temple. First temple created was the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. And then Adam and Eve sinned and they were expelled. Okay? Second temple, Ark of the Covenant. It was this big ark, had giant wood poles that were carried by the priests, and it led the armies, it led the kingdom. It was protected inside were the tablets uh, of the Ten Commandments. It was protected. God's presence resided. It resembled the Garden of Eden. If you looked at the ornate imagery, it was gold. If you looked at the ornate imagery, it, it uh, resembled the Garden of Eden, and it was with the people, but the, they couldn't touch it. There's one scene where it looked like one of the priests was slipping and someone came up and he touched the temple or he, he touched the Ark of the Covenant and he died. So it was this, this thing, God was among them, but like couldn't touch. I mean, there, there was this reverence holiness. I mean, it, fascinating, but then the Ark was stolen from the people of God. Then third temple was the physical building, right? Or other physical buildings. Solomon's temple, this temple would eventually be destroyed took 46 years to build. It was unbelievable. Today, we only have a guess of what it could have looked like. This is gone. It was destroyed. It was taken down. It crumbled. The fourth temple, right? Here's the build, was Jesus. And Jesus was killed. Jesus was destroyed. But then rose again three days later. So then Jesus, with his disciples, talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is us. You see the trajectory? You see the build? You see how it's moving and evolving? And that final temple is Jesus is going to come back and he will restore. We're in the middle. So what is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to cultivate in this temple? <clears throat> I love that. Everything points to the person of Jesus. Why do we need the church today? That was the question that I had originally asked at the beginning. Why, why do we do this? Why do we do church? Why do we do religion? Why, why do we do worship? Why do we do what we're doing right now? We do it because we're cultivators of the temple of God. That's what he created us to be. That's what he's called us to be. And he's called us to do that in this context, in this community. That's why we need the church. Jesus, hanging on the cross, died for this. He died for the church. 
He created the church. He bled for the church. He's coming back for the church. This is, this is why we do what we do, and the church is a part of the body. It is designed to be cared for, stewarded, cultivated, and expanded. His church was always intended to grow, and it's meant to look totally different than everything around it. I wanted to read this passage. Uh, I didn't put it up on the screen for you, but just get the imagery here. This was like at the completion of the temple. This will give you a vision or a visual of what it will look like someday when we enter into the temple forever with God. Here's what it says, Second Chronicles 5, verse 13. Uh, it says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not even continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God." This was the temple was finally finished and the people came in of nations and tribes and tongues. They all come in together and they're worshiping and they're singing and they're praising and they're giving glory to God. And it says, and God moved into the temple and was with them. That's amazing. This is what God's intention for the temple has always been to be with his people. So I want to tell you, the, one of the most real and raw experiences I've ever had with, with his kingdom, and it, honestly, it was like one of the first times, uh, I was a college student, and I'd never heard of this conference before. It's called the Passion Conference. So maybe I've shared this here, maybe I haven't shared this before, but uh, I had a friend in Midland. I lived in Midland at the time. I was going to Grand Valley, and my friend was like, hey, do you want to go to this thing called Passion? And I was like, sure. I don't even know what it is, but yeah. He's like, okay, there's a ticket, there's a cost to it, whatever. I was like, I don't care. I want to go. I showed up to this conference, and, and what this conference was was 45,000 college students from all over the world that come to one location, and they come to Atlanta for the sole purpose of being the kingdom. They come together, and they worship, they pray, they study, they just commune with one another. There were small groups that took place. Uh, Worship, pray, study, fellowship, and then serve. Like what they came to do was serve, to embody who Jesus was, to cultivate something so that it would expand. There was this monument that was erected while we were there over the two and a half days of this giant hand because that year they had said, we're moving against slavery. We see slavery happening. We see sex slavery happening all over the world. I still remember it today. They said there today, as of this writing... 2011, I think it was, 2012. They said there's 27 million slaves around our world right now. So as part of the kingdom, as part of the body, as part of the church, we're gonna move against that. We're gonna cultivate creation, cultivate the temple to move into that, to take over the most desolate, broken area that we can see right in front of us. And that's what they did. It started something called the End It Movement, if you've ever heard of it. They've raised millions and millions and millions of dollars. We raised three, I still remember it, like, vividly. We raised $3.1 million that day. People were waiting in line for hours from some of the poorest people in our country, college students, waited in line for hours to swipe mom and dad's credit card <laughs> and their own 
to give to end this, this movement of slavery, this bondage. It changed my life. I remember one of the, the leaders of it, he got up in front and he said, he, he told this story and he said, how many of you are in the middle of your own funeral and want Jesus to interrupt it? And for the first time ever, I said, I'm done fighting God. I want to stand up. I want to give my life to him. I want to totally surrender. I want to be a part of his church. And so I stood up that day. I gave my life to the Lord. And what I felt like God said in that moment, I remember it clear as day, is he said, David, this is what I'm calling you to, my church. Friends, this is what he's calling us to. God has you at this job, at the house that you live or the apartment you're at right now, with the family that you have, with the circumstances that you're in, with the relationships that you've cultivated to this point, God has called you right now to be a part of this community for the sake of his kingdom. He's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. There are people outside these doors that desperately need to know who Jesus is, and God has placed you in their lives to be the facilitator of that. One prayer that God has always answered without fail. You might say, if you're in the room and you say, God's never answered my prayer, I have a challenge for you. I promise you, God will answer this prayer. God, give me an opportunity to put you on display for somebody in my life today. Better take advantage of it when he presents it. But I promise you, he'll present it. God has called us to be cultivators, to be stewards, to be gardeners of the temple that he created from the very beginning to the evolution of what it is now when you go into darkness when you go into brokenness when you go into pain you bring the temple of God with you it's not about grabbing the world and bringing them here it's about here we are here we are together God's brought us together as one to be a part of his church so that we can go out so who is it in your life that God is stirring and cultivating in you to go after to begin praying for diligently, to build a relationship with, to minister to, to care for, to love, to represent the person of Jesus. You may be broken, you may be hurting, you may feel empty, but God says, I'm inviting you to be a part and as you cultivate, you will be fed. So who is it in your life that he is calling you to do that for? We are not called to be consumers. We're called to be cultivators of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray that you would work in this community. I pray that you would work in Comstock Park. I just pray that you would create a hunger and a desire to know you, to know um, just your church, God, to know your character, to understand who Jesus is. God, I just pray that you would give us opportunities in this room, uh, especially for those that, that maybe feel discouraged or don't feel like they have anything to offer. Uh, I just pray that you would give them just an extra measure of boldness or courage uh, or understanding of who you are and who you've created them to be. God, there's so many people, if I just think about the last two weeks of my life, that just with eyes open to this have seen so many lost people neighbors and friends, family members, people at workplaces, people at the store, people we share rides with or people at our schools. Or God, all over the place, there are people that don't know you and don't understand you. You are the saver of all of mankind, the giver of life, the fountain of life. God, just like the river 
in the temple. And so just pray, Lord, that you would use us as stewards of your kingdom, stewards of the garden, stewards of your temple to expand it and grow it for the sake of saving those who are lost. We love you. We trust you. We commit this time to you today and we commit our lives to you. We just pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen.